Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We all need the healing touch of God on our life. When a king makes a speech, mostly people listen. In the New Testament, there are a number of Jesus' speeches recorded during which he shares some life-changing insights and he makes reference several times to the need for his words to make an impression on our hearts. Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his series, The King's Speech, looking at kingdom living. Tonight, we're in Luke chapter 13 with the fig tree. His message, I dig it. So, we now come to Luke 13. We're going to read this parable that is found in verse 6. We're going to go down to verse 9. And this, this message, part 5, is called, I dig it. And let's, it's, it's my hope that you do dig it. And this, you'll see it's taken from this parable. So we're reading from verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Jesus told this parable to describe what it was like to be in his kingdom. Biblically, the fig tree is referred to often by the prophets to refer to Israel. Israel's called the fig tree. Many of the prophetic allegories describe it as a fig tree. Jesus comes to the fig tree, Israel, and he's in his he's ministered three years already. And here's the vine dresser, the kind of the or the, the owner of the, the vineyard, the father, saying, They're not listening to you. They're not repenting. Three years, three years you've preached. Three years you've taught about the kingdom. Three years and still they have not turned back to me. Father, just let me keep going. Just this, this year, this year. Just give me this year. And if nothing happens this year, chop it down. And of course, Christ did minister into the fourth year and it was in the middle of the fourth year. That he laid down his life. Many of Israel, the fig tree, many of them did actually repent. And this is the point of the, the parable. This parable, the, the parable of the fruitless or barren fig tree, was, had immediate application about Israel, about God's relationship with people. But it also has application to us. You see, this word repent is one of the three truths of being in the kingdom. And here's the question. If each of the parables has to do with our heart, and one of the parables has to do with having a good heart, a heart that is soft and tender, a heart that is open, a heart that is humble, a heart that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, Here's my question. 
When was the last time you felt the Holy Spirit challenging you to repent? When was the last time you said sorry to God? What does repentance look like? How do we know this parable is largely about Jesus describing and illustrating repentance? Because the first five verses of this chapter are some of the strongest things Jesus said about repentance. Repentance is a change of heart and mind and life. Repentance is the ultimate apology. When I prepare a couple for marriage, and there are, there are many couples who are married in this church who I married, and you'll know that one of the things that we covered before you got married was how to apologise. Because most people think an apology is simply a matter of saying two and a half words. What are those two and a half words? I'm sorry. You know, we've all experienced this where someone thinks they've apologised to us by using those two and a half words and you know they're not sorry one little bit. Am I the only one that ever, that ever happens to? We've all had that. So one of the things I do with a couple before we, we bring them down the altar to, to, to marry is teach them what biblically what an, an apology is. Because in, a, in fact, this is, this is the thing I'll say. A sincere, genuine apology will not even use those words. I'm sorry. Because you can say it in a way where you really mean it. And you won't have to use those words. Now, I'm not saying you can't use those words. But if you think those words are the magic words for an apology... You don't get it. Here's, here's the essence of an apology. You see, an apology conveys to the other person to whom you have injured that you now see their pain. You now feel their hurt. You now recognise your responsibility in that pain. And an apology sounds, rather than I'm sorry, because you know how some... Parents, have you ever told your child, go and apologise? And they go up and your child goes up and says, I'm sorry. And they grow up thinking that's what an apology is. And you know that's not an apology. An apology is going to more likely have these words. Please... Forgive me. That's closer to an apology. And, and, and it shouldn't ever come first. It should come at the end when you're saying something like this. I didn't, I didn't really realise that what I did or what I am doing or what I've just done would have caused you so much pain. I can now see that I've hurt you. I've wounded you. I deeply regret that. I do not want to hurt you. I don't know what I was thinking when I, when I acted like that. Would you please 
forgive me because I'm asking for your forgiveness. That's closer to an apology. It normally take about an hour to unpack that and explain that to a couple. But that's an apology. All right, now let's bring this back to God. Because this is where I think if you can really get your walk with Christ figured out, you can then approach marriage with a head start. You can, if, you, if you get your walk with Christ figured out, if you get this thing called repentance figured out, you can approach relationships functional, more functional than you currently are, because many of you are dysfunctional. <clears throat> and if you can get this, we're all dysfunctional to some extent. We're broken. And this is what repentance does. Repentance acknowledges brokenness. And here's the thing that may shock and stun you. When we sin, it's not so much breaking a rule. And I know, I just, I just think some people think sin is about breaking a command or breaking laws or breaking rules. That's, that's, like, that's kind of like thinking like an accountant. Because the, the thing is, on, on a ledger, you've got, a, you've got a, a, a debit where something's you know, gone out. It's owed. It's, it's like, okay, that's on the wrong side. We've got, to, we've got to balance this out now. That's not what sin is like. Sin is not so much breaking a rule, breaking a law, breaking a command. Sin... Is someone help me out? What is sin? Sin is breaking God's heart. You see, every one of the commands reveals the heart of God, not the law of God. If you just see and hear law and think that's what that's what sin is and that's what Christianity is all about, you don't get it. <laughs> sin is breaking the heart of God because every one of the laws represents the heart of God. When God says, do not lie, it's because he is impeccably honest and you represent him. We're made in his image. When we lie, we're saying to all of creation on behalf of God, look at me, this is what God's like. He's a liar. Can you see what happens to his heart? Sin is breaking God's heart. And for me, this is the, the biggest thing about Christianity. It's about getting. It's about heart. It's about the heart of God. It's about, the, it's about our heart coming into sync with God's heart. And we get it. And repentance, when we sin... We've grieved God. And you'll find that language in the Bible. You'll find it around the time of Noah where it says it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. <laughs> man, the pain God must have felt. Consider this. You are made in the image of God. How do you feel when someone betrays you? Put it under the category of really hurt really hurt we represent God when we misrepresent God we've betrayed him how does he feel the scripture says there are times when God feels grieved Paul in the New Testament writing to Christians about following Christ says this 
do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is heart. This is relationship. So when we talk about repentance, we're talking about two lovers who really do love each other. Two lovers having that that moment where it's intensely painful, where it really hurts because there's, there's been grief caused. And every husband, every wife will, will experience these moments when they come together and it's like, can we talk? Sure. Which is always a good question to ask, by the way, before you launch into your husband. Can we talk? Sure. When you said that about me earlier today in front of those people, I'm not aware of... I don't know if you realised what that did to my heart. I really hurt. I really felt belittled and betrayed when you said that or did that. And the appropriate response is not, oh, I'm sorry. Won't happen again. Good night. That's not an apology. An apology... Let's run through it again. Is conveying to the other that you feel their pain. You understand their pain. You get it. And you acknowledge your responsibility in that pain. And then you ask for forgiveness. And as, I, again, I explained to couples, there's three types of listening. When someone is sharing their pain with you, you listen actively to make sure you're really hearing them. You listen reactively. Reactively is your posture. when you're t- You know, if someone's telling you something you really don't want to hear and you're not really wanting to hear it, you react, don't you? But when, but when the one you deeply love is telling you, you hurt me, you react in a way where you feel their pain. You react in a way that says, I really don't want to hear this, but I need to. So please keep going. And then the third listening is you respond. It's responsive listening. You respond. And responsive listening is this. If they've just told you that you you did something that really hurt them, you respond by not doing that. That's responsive listening. Can you see how this is how we, we, we come to God? Can you see how this is that moment when you come out of darkness and you come into light, when you come from following your own way of living to coming to follow Christ? Let's run through it again. He exposes our heart. And, and the pain that we're experiencing, as Kim mentioned before, the burden and the pain and the guilt and the shame that we experience without God in our life is just a glimpse, just a glimpse of the grief that we've caused God by living that way. And it's exposed to us. And God extends his arms out. And he says, can we talk? The way you're living really hurts me. And I want to forgive you. Do you realize the way God forgives us is when we ask for it? It's not automatic. It's when we ask for forgiveness. So when we go through this process, we say, oh, God, 
I am a sinner and I have grieved you greatly. And I so regret that. And I ask you now to forgive me. That's repentance. And then that repentance is reactive. We now react to the Holy Spirit in a positive way. Holy Spirit, is there anything else you need to say? Is there anything else that you need to change in my life? God, is there anything that I'm now doing that is grieving you? Because I don't want to grieve you. You above all people. I don't want to hurt your heart, break your heart. I want to please you. I want to live for your pleasure. I want to love you and delight my life in you. That's repentance. And repentance is the fruit of the tree. Because it responds when we know that lying grieves God and it hurts him so deeply. We respond by, you know, I went out fishing and uh, I caught a fish this big. Oh, Holy Spirit just goes, <clears throat> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it was this big. <laughs> you just, and this is, and young ladies, listen to me. Whenever you hear a, a young man trying to woo you and he makes these big claims and then he says, hang on a minute. Sorry, no, that's not right. That, no, no, that's not right. It should be this. Mark that guy because he's probably an honest man. People who correct themselves generally are honest people. That's just by the way. But that's responsive listening. How should we be responding to what God wants to do in our life? Here's the next thing that Jesus said. We come with me. Luke, we're in Luke and we're looking at verse 22. This is what Jesus said. These three truths. One, it's a change of heart. Two, it's a change of life. And then three, there's an ultimate judgment at the end. The narrow door. Luke 13, verse 22. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Interesting question. And he said... Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. 
you can be in church every Sunday. You can be hearing the Bible taught every Sunday. You can be raising your hands in all the right places. You can be serving on the serving team. You can be doing everything that looks like you're in. But it's not about what it looks like. It's about what's in your heart. Has your heart been transformed? Jesus said, you've got to take your heart through the narrow door. It's a very narrow door. This is final judgment. Every one of the parables has a final judgment. I was 16 when I first heard that Christians would be judged. Like There would be a judgment where everybody, which includes Christians, and everybody will be judged. And I've got to tell you, I was stunned. I had never heard that before. I'd gone to church 16 years and nine months, and I'd never heard that before, nine months before I was born. And then someone pointed out in Scripture that Jesus taught that everything we say, we will give an account of on the Day of Judgment, Matthew 12, verse 36. Now, right there, I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. And and I was having some old dear me moments because I had said stuff that I did not want all of eternity and all, all of heaven to hear. Then I read in the book of Revelation where it says, not just the book of life that's going to be opened, the books will be opened. Everything I've done. And I had another old dear moment. Because there's some stuff I've done I don't want you to know about. In fact, I don't want anyone to know about. And God says, everything you've done, you'll give an account of on the Day of Judgment. Every prayer you pray is recorded in the book of prayer. And quite frankly, there are some really stupid prayers that I've prayed. I don't want you to know about those either. And at the age of 16, I had this thing, God, I'm in deep trouble. I have been religious, but I haven't really had a heart transformation. My heart is not really where it should be. God, I, I, I just lay down my life. I'm just going to take a step of trust. I'm going to say, God, take my life. Take my life. Have your way in my life. I, I now trust that you won't hurt me. I now trust that you'll have your way in my life. Please come into my life. So I was around 15, 16, that happened in my life. And the journey continues. And can I tell you, the journey continues with a deep, deep quest in my heart to know the heart of Christ, to love Christ. And I remember I, was, I used to work for Kmart. And in the storeroom it came out, we had this conveyor belt and we'd put boxes that come in through the store and put them and just up the conveyor belt, go up to the thing called the top deck and there we were. And I remember one day I was there and I was putting this box on and it just went, it had no say in it. It just got put on and it went, it was going whether it wanted to or not. And the thought crossed my mind, God, I want you to put me on your conveyor belt. I want you to have your way in my life no matter how much I kick and scream, no matter how much I complain, no matter how much I object, please have your way in my life because I'm, I'm coming to know you. I know that you only do good. I know I can, I can always trust you. I know that you have your best intended for me 
And I can't see it, but I know that if I put my faith in you, you'll get me to where you want me to be. God, have your way in my life. You know that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because as I began to develop that prayer in my later teens, I said, God, maybe there's something you want to do in my life. God, maybe you want to send me somewhere. Do it. Have your way in my life. And here I am today, married with one wife and four children who are all here today. And God has blessed Kim and me. And I've got to tell you, serving God and living for God is the safest, most blessed option you have with your life. Here's my question for you. Is your heart there? And the question Coming back to the fig tree, Jesus said, Father, just let me dig around it. Let me dig, dig around this. You know what happens when you have the roots of a dug around? It's, it's unsettling. It's disturbing. You just get comfortable and everything gets dug up. Let me put the manure around it. It's smelly. Life stinks. But what is Christ doing in your life? Trying to make you fruitful trying to bring you into that place of abundant fruit. That's what he wants to do with your life. Here's my final question, and it's based on the third truth. <laughs> is your soul at peace with God? This is not a, this is not a, you know, a bony finger-wagging sermon question. This is a question from one broken pastor to a bunch of broken people who need, we all need the healing touch of God on our life. We all need the grace of God. And here's the question from one beggar to a whole bunch of beggars. <laughs> Do you have peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Are you ready? I remember uh, Kim and I were youth pastoring in Werribee. We had taken on a group of about 12 kids. It grew to about 100 kids in just over a year. And we were seeing kids saved left, right and centre. And one of them, his name was Gary. You've probably heard me talk about Gary. And we had an event where uh, we, were, we were off to celebrate one of the other young guys who we'd met in the street of Werribee. He was coming out of a nightclub, but he was too drunk to stand. And his name was Jason, ministered to, witness to Jason. And I just said, God loves you, wants to save you. I didn't know what was going on in Jason's life, but blow me down. He was in church that Sunday. Couldn't believe it. Kid, I met on the street. He went on to become a youth pastor. And Jason met someone in the church and was getting married. It was his bucks night. And after church night, uh, that night, Gary was going to, he was 17, he was going to ride his bike down to the McDonald's and we were going to have the a hoot of a bucks party, you know, like as you do at McDonald's. And Gary never turned up. Gary had come out of a drug culture recently given, given his life to Christ, had struggled a bit. But that Sunday, he came down the front. He said, oh, I'm tired of playing around. I've just been, I just want to give Jesus everything now. That was a special moment for Gary. That day, he signed up and joined the choir. And no sign of Gary at McDonald's. And later that night, I got the phone call. Gary was hit by a car on the way to McDonald's. 
and was killed instantly. He never made it. But I know where Gary is now. At peace with God. He's, he's in the choir, all right, let me tell you. He's in an awesome choir. He joined the choir that day. He just didn't realize which one he was about to join. Do you have peace with God? Jesus, as we come into this new year, have your way in my life. Have your way in my life. Have your way in my life. I regret the things that I've done. I regret the slackness, the coldness, the lukewarmness. I regret that I've caused you pain. I regret that I've broken your heart. Oh, God, I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, and help me to live for you. You pray that prayer, church. You are setting yourself up for a great year. And Lord, I pray for every person here that we would indeed have our hearts transformed, our lives transformed, and our glory, our glory, our glorification with Christ a certainty. So Father, bless your people. May they know your love. May they know your grace. And may they know your comfort. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Jesus took the opportunity to speak words of truth, principles for kingdom living in the form of parables. That concludes Dr. Corbett's series, The King's Speech. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, I Dig It, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.